I had the privilege before the service earlier to, um, to meet Lucia, uh, who was new to our congregation downstairs, and she was sharing with me that uh, she was not only a PK, preacher's kid, but her father was a bishop, so she was a BK. <laughs> and then she went on to share, but I'm one of the good ones. You know, I'm, I'm one of the behaved ones. And, and so we were laughing and sharing that you know why preacher's kids are often wild and rambunctious and, and everything else, and that's because they grow up with church member kids. <laughs> Our scripture today comes from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse 21. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the great commandments of loving God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and our mind, asking what does it mean to really love God? Not just love God, but to love God. Last week, we looked at loving our neighbor as ourselves. And, and the question is, is how do we love our neighbor? But then how do we love ourselves when many of us have a hard time today loving ourselves. What does that mean? Not in a sense of arrogance, but in a sense of, of accepting our identity and our being that God has created in us. And as we look then at loving God and loving one another, the love of one another within the family and the home becomes the prime example. And on this Mother's Day, we look. Now, the scripture that, that we're about to read is one that when you're talking at the table with the with the staff and you're doing the worship planning and you're laying out, here's what we can do over the next three weeks or so. It sounded great, but then as you start writing the sermon, you get to a couple of these verses that people don't like. Then you're going, I should probably change this. And then you realize, but if I do, the bulletins are done. And people are going to know, he chickened out. So we're going for it. And actually, one of the reasons we're going for it is, I think this is one of those passages of scriptures too, that is so often misread and misunderstood. So we want to take a look at what does it mean to have the Christian home? Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to the husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind, yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of the body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I'm applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, 
so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Mighty God, we ask that you would guide us now as we seek to come together and study your word. And as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And my prayer is, is that we'll take the opportunity for you to hear what I've got to say rather than assuming what I'm going to say. Because as we read the scripture, it's one of the challenging ones. I mean, I remember several years ago, I was teaching a disciple Bible study class. And it was a great class. It was an intimate class. The group got to know each other well. They would laugh and share. And, and they would open up and share their, their thinking on the scripture. And there was one lady in the class. She was known just to kind of share openly and honestly whatever she was thinking. And the class loved her dearly. It was a great relationship. But I remember we got to, to these kind of passages. And Paul, she said one day at the beginning of the class, Can I just say something before we start? And I said, well, sure. And she goes, I think I'm beginning to hate Paul. <laughs> I know Dick over here, who's a Paul scholar, is sitting there going, this is the big one, Elizabeth. You know, he, he loves Paul. And, and what I think she was really saying is, is it's not that I don't, I don't like Paul, but I really wrestle with what he says and, and how he says some things. What does it mean in our world today? I mean, we love Paul. We love the Damascus Road experience. We love to hear about how Paul had been the great persecutor of the church, but then he had this experience where, where Jesus Christ was revealed to him and he committed his life to Christ and, and he wrote most of the New Testament. He was the great evangelist of the faith. He shared the gospel and was committed to the gospel, even if it meant imprisonment. He was a committed person. But sometimes when he says some things, especially comments about women, it just, it just seems old-fashioned. As a matter of fact, it seems pretty chauvinist. We struggle sometimes with Paul. I mean, for example, he shares at one place that, that, that women should keep silent and worship and, and should not really have authority over men. Really? I mean, come on, it's 2018, Paul. Come on, Paul. But yet, what's really interesting is when you read the scripture, you find out that Paul doesn't exactly practice what he preaches. I mean, he said that over here, that's true. But then he does something totally differently. For example, read his letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians. The very first chapter, he tells you that the reason I'm writing this letter is because I heard from some of Chloe's people what was going on in her church. Wait a minute. Chloe was a woman and she had people. As a matter of fact, there was a church that was meeting with her and, and, and she's now sharing this message back with Paul about what's going on and, and they're interchanging some guidance and wow, that, that just seems kind of odd for what he said earlier. And then there was Lydia in Acts chapter 16. There was Yodia and Syntyche in, in Philippians chapter 4 and, and then Priscilla. I mean, don't you love Priscilla? Priscilla is throughout the, the New Testament. She's in Acts and, and some of the others of the letters. And, and one of the things you learn about Priscilla was she was sharp as a tack, but then she did something that you just won't believe what she did. But she did it. And in spite of the fact of what, what you may have heard Paul said, she did something. One day, Apollos, 
This great, eloquent speaker was speaking the gospel, but he didn't quite have it exactly right. He was missing just a little bit of it. And you know what Priscilla did? She pulled him aside with her husband, and she taught him the correct way. She fixed it. She was a woman. He was a man. She fixed it, which has been going on ever since. Right? I mean, so you, you start looking and you're going, well, wait a minute. The scripture says, and yet Paul carries out, and Phoebe was another one. Phoebe, in Romans chapter 16, Phoebe, actually Paul says, I commend to you, Phoebe, and do whatever she tells you. That just seems contrary, doesn't it? And then Junia, also in Romans 16, Paul says she was prominent among the apostles. So we struggle. When we read Paul, we have to read all of Paul to kind of be able to see what's going on because when you study Paul, there's a couple of things that you always have to remember. One is, Paul believed Jesus was going to return during his lifetime. And so he wrote that way. I mean, he really believed that Jesus was going to return immediately. If I told you that I have it on good advice that Jesus is going to return this coming Friday about noon, Friday at noon, Jesus will be back. It'll probably change some of your schedules. As a matter of fact, those of you who are planning to meet with your financial planner about your retirement probably will just cancel that meeting. Jesus is coming back Friday at noon. Not only that, all the kids who are getting ready to take all those exams in school, no need to bother. Does that mean you're opposed to education? No. But if Jesus is coming back, I'm going to focus on that instead. As a matter of fact, most of you probably wouldn't even go to work, right? Jesus is coming back. What do you want to do? I want to get in touch with my family. I want to make sure everybody's ready because Jesus is coming back. That's what Paul was doing. He believed Jesus was coming back immediately. And him, the important thing to Paul was, is are you ready for the return of Christ? You need to remember that. The other thing, though, that you have to remember with Paul is Paul was writing particular letters to particular people at particular times. These are letters that Paul was writing. Ephesians is a letter to the church at Ephesus. Romans is the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Corinthians is a letter that Paul, a pastor, wrote to the church at Corinth. Timothy is a letter that Paul wrote to his apprentice, Timothy. They're letters that were written to particular people at particular times, with particular situations. For example, as as your pastor, I might write a church to the church at Weddington that meets at the Weddington campus, and I would share with you some things about this church. But if I were to write as the pastor to our, our church that meets at Bonds Grove, I might write a little differently. It's a smaller congregation. It's a little different situation. And, and so therefore, my letter to them and how we need to do things in that smaller situation and how we do things in a large situation, a little bit different. And if I were to write a letter to our church that meets in Monroe, it would be yet a different letter because there are language issues that would have to be taken into consideration. There are cultural issues that we would have to take into consideration. And there are socioeconomic issues that we would be taken into consideration. So it would probably be written totally different there than what I would write here. Paul was writing to particular churches at particular times dealing with particular issues. We have to remember that. The theology is the same, but the way he carries it out varies depending on the church and depending on the issue. So Paul here is writing to the church at Ephesus. 
And he's moving to the point now of going, well, what does the Christian home look like? What does the Christian household look like? You're called to be different as the body of Christ. And what does that mean? And, and when you read this scripture, one of the important things to catch is you have to begin at verse 21. Some people like to jump right on to verse 22. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Typically, that's a man that wants to start there. But you have to go back to verse 21. It's all connected. Now, some of our scriptures even start the passage of verse 22. And you have to remember that chapters and verses were added much later to the letter so that I could say to you, turn to this chapter, let's look at this verse, and we'd all be on the same page. But you have to look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. You have to catch that. Be subject to one another. Husbands to your wives. Wives to your husbands. You're subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. How do I know you need to start there instead of verse 22? Because in the Greek, verse 22 does not have a verb. That creates a problem. If we read the Greek literally, and see in the English, translators have, have gone ahead and go, there was a verb left out. It's subject. Submit. They put it in there. It's not in there. Actually, the Greek just simply says, wives to your husbands and to the Lord. What does that mean? Wives to your husbands and to the Lord. You have to go back to verse 21 because it's connected. Be subject to one another. In reverence to Christ. Therefore, wives, you're subject to your husbands as to the Lord. It, it, it follows suit. You're subject to one another. And, and therefore, wives are subject as well. We're subject husbands back to the wives as well. Do you see the connection? Paul's making an important statement here. But when we read it, it, it just doesn't come across real popular. The other thing you have to remember when you read Paul is the culture of his day. When we study the scripture, you have to go back and go, if Paul wrote this in, let's say, 55 to 60-ish, what was happening back then? What was the culture back then? How were things then? And back in those days, you'd had the Greek Empire, and now there's a lot of Greek influence going on. Now there's the Roman Empire, and there's a lot of Roman influence going on. And, and so with all of that... Women were often treated as property. They were not seen as equals. That wasn't Paul's idea. It wasn't God's idea. It's just the way things seem to be happening in the culture around. Marriages were often arranged. I can't imagine that. My daughter got married last September. I can't imagine coming up to her and going, Honey, here's the guy I picked out for you. I don't think that would have gone over really well. And even if I had picked out the best guy in the whole world since I picked him out, he wouldn't stand a chance. But the culture was different then. It was, it was arranged. As a matter of fact, Aristotle, most everybody has heard of Aristotle. Aristotle, in his, in his work, Politics, says that the domination of males over females ensures a proper household and ultimately an efficient state. Aristotle would not get elected today. Now, the point that I'm making is, is Paul didn't say that, but that's the culture. That's the culture that Paul is writing in. That's the group that Paul's writing to. 
And so Paul is dealing with what's happening. For example, a man could divorce a woman for any reason. It wasn't reciprocal, but the man could divorce the woman for about any reason that he wanted to. I mean, he could basically say, this is the second time this week that the bread's been burned. We're done. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. That's why Jesus then in Matthew 19 says, that, enough of that. That's what, that was never intended. Cut that out. So Paul actually breaks some of these customs. I mean, for example, in the Hebrew culture, even women did not worship with men. You didn't worship together. There was the section over here where the men were and the section over there where the women were. Paul, according to us, as we look at 2018 and look back at Paul, he is a narrow-minded, old-fashioned chauvinist. But if you lived in Paul's day, he was seen as a raging liberal. Why? Well, he's talking about, well, when men and women worship together, here's the things that you do. What do you mean when men and women worship together? We don't worship together. We do now. We do now. It was a cultural shift, a cultural change. It's different now that we're the church. And the women actually spoke up. Here's Phoebe and here are others. And, and you can listen to them now. It, it's different. Paul helped do some transformation of the way things work. As a matter of fact, this scripture... If you look at the Wesley Study Bible, the commentary says, unlike other household codes in the Greco-Roman world, where only subordinates get exhortations, here exhortations are balanced between the head and others. Now catch this. These exhortations to the head of the household severely restrict his authority as husband, father, master, if you keep reading the scripture, by insisting that he exhibit Christian behavior in these relationships. In other words, the people who were offended by this letter in Paul's day was not the ladies. It was the men. Because according to the culture, they had unlimited power and authority and could do whatever they wanted to do. And now Paul's going, not anymore. We're Christians. As Christians, our homes should be different. As Christians, we can transform culture. God calls us individually to be different as disciples. And when those disciples go home, then the dining room should be different. The family then should be different. The family home, the Christian home is different because you're different now. You're different. So he says, be subject to one another. Be subject to one another. Now, if that word bothers us, sometimes we don't like being subject to someone or being submissive to someone. And even though it says to each other, you know, you submit this way and you submit that way. I mean, both submit. If you flip over to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28, it is the same verb that's used to describe Christ's relationship with God. That Christ is subject to the Father. And yet we know the two are one. So he says, wives, you can now be subject to your husband because he's going to be different now. It's not going to be the way that it used to be. So you now can actually love him and you can respect him. That's the scripture that you saw just a little bit later was, you know, wives, respect your husbands. You can respect him now because he's going to be different. Now, now, men, I just want to share with you. We, we like to go to 522, but, but you need to pay attention in Ephesians. What Paul says to the women is only about this big. What he says to the men is about this big. 
So be careful because if you try to quote verse 22, they're going to quote all the rest of that chapter. Because what Paul does is he writes to the men and he goes, And men, husbands, stop treating your wives as if they're less than you are. Stop acting that way. As a matter of fact, he says, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, wow. That's a total different way of looking at the relationship. Because the word love there is the word agape. Now, he could have used the word philia, you know, have brotherly love. That's Philadelphia, you know, the city of brotherly love. Or eros. Eros is a good one. Erotic love. You can love your wives with erotic love. Yeah, but, but you know what he says? Love your wives with agape love. Oh, that's an unconditional, unmerited, sacrificial kind of love. And just to make sure we get it, he goes on to say, So love your wives as Christ loved the church and was willing to give himself up for her. In other words, Christ was willing to die for the church. Jesus Christ was willing to lay his life on the line for the church. And husbands, love your wives enough that you would place your life on the line for her. That's different. That's different than the way the neighbors were doing it in those days. That's different than the culture of those days. Paul took the love of husband and wife to a whole new level. Love one another. Christ cleansed the church with baptism by the word to present the church in splendor, holy, without blemish, because Christ sought the best for the church. And Paul's saying, husbands, you should seek the very best for your wife. To do everything you can to help her be everything God has called her to be. So he reaches back to Genesis 2, 24. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and he clings to his wife. And the two become one flesh. Jesus quotes the same scripture in Matthew 19, verse 5. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then to make sure we get it, Jesus goes on to say, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This scripture is not about trying to go, who's the boss? The scripture is about now that you're Christian, your relationship at home should be different. And even though the culture may say that this is okay or that's okay, you're different now. We can transcend that because you're now part of the kingdom of God. And our relationships are different. Our relationships are meant to be different, so be subject to one another in reverence to Christ. Wives, you can be subject to love and respect your husband because he should be different now. He should be respectable, lovable. And husbands, you should love your wives with everything you've got, putting your lives on the line for her. And children, obey your parents. Your parents are gifts to you from God, he says. And therefore, this is the first commandment that has a promise. If you flip back to Exodus chapter 20, you will see that there are the Ten Commandments and, and the first four deal with God and our relationship with God. But the very first one that deals with our relationship with each other is honor your father and mother. And it's the only one with a promise so that it may be well with you as you live on this earth. So children, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. They're a gift to you from God. And parents, don't just try to get your kids mad. 
but raise them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. You see, it all goes together. The scripture is about the Christian family and the Christian home. What does it look like to be a family of God? How do we have a home that is a sanctuary for all those who gather there? A safe place where God and the family abide together. Subject yourselves to one another equally because you're no longer two, you're one. So subject yourselves to each other equally in reverence to the Lord. Wives, loving, respecting your husbands. Husbands, loving, respecting, honoring your wives. Children, honoring your parents as gifts from God. Parents, raising your children in the faith. Paul here is trying to make a point. I've taught you the faith. Now what does it look like at home? Our culture may teach us that it's okay to live this way and it's okay to live that way. But you're not called to live like your neighbors. You are called by God to live as a child of God and in your home to build a Christian home where God abides and relationships are valued by the gift of amazing agape love, an unconditional, unmerited, sacrificial love. So I ask us, as we celebrate Mother's Day, National Family Week, Christian Home Month, whatever else Hallmark can come up with, I ask us as Christians, what does our home look like to God. And as Christians, those who've been set apart meant to be different. Do we establish homes that are just a little different? Because God's standards are a little higher than the culture around us. Paul knew it then, and we know it now. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for the Christian home and the Christian family. And God, what a blessing it is when we're raised by Christian parents who love one another in a home where we can be taught to honor our parents and our parents seek to raise us in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. God, we pray that you would help us to establish Christian homes, to be a Christian family. And not to look at the standards of the culture and the world around us. That's always changing. But what is the standard that you have given to us? What does it mean to be a Christian family? You've told us to be subject to one another. In reverence for Christ. And that, that wives can now love and cherish and respect their husbands. And husbands should love and cherish and respect their wives. And children should honor their parents as gifts from you. And parents should recognize that a child is a gift and we're to raise them in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. So God, we pray that we would raise our standards and that we would truly be a family set apart 
a family seeking to live as part of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the world. So bless us, bless our homes and our families, we pray. And may you be glorified here in the sanctuary and at home in the den. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.